Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Romeo Cornell was the big dummy of this episode. Fundamentally, that still was the wrong decision to make. You just need to come up with one play and we win the game. Dominating, desecrating, denigrating the Cleveland Browns. Just when you think they have turned the corner, they turn back. They did a U-turn and got that beat by the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't agree with the play. I do agree with the call. Deshaun Watson like, oh my God. <laughs> nobody, and I mean nobody, circles the wagons like them Houston Astros. You have to start and end with Dusty Baker. Correa don't give a baseball. damn. <laughs> That's what I love about Correa. Correa don't give a damn. It's you. It's not us. It's you. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, one. And once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Mama, there goes that man. You roll. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. It's our Thursday edition, (laughs) y'all. Welcome in. And if this is your first time, welcome aboard. We hope that you make us a part of your menu of podcasts. So want to remind you guys of a number of things, including finding us on any podcast, any major platform, any podcast platform there is. And if there's one that we're not on, you let me know and we'll get on that uh, platform. But nonetheless, want to remind you guys of a couple of things because we have a great show for you. I'm going to run down what we have coming up for you. But first, I want to remind you guys to go to the Wade's Word Production com website that's wadeswordproductions.com subscribe to the email list so i can send you emails from time to time roughly every six weeks i'm saying that but i'm kind of uh, yeah we we when we need to reach out we reach out but subscribe that's at the bottom of any page you can go back and listen to past episodes you can sort of uh, peruse the website and see all the things that I'm involved in from the Friday Express to stuff I do in theater to um, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast to KTSU Sports Talk. So all of that. You can learn about all of those things on the website. Also, want to remind you guys, 24 hours a day, I set this up for you guys, and I want you guys to take full advantage of it. It is our Sports Talk with Devin Wade sports line. That's 832-941-6614, 832-941-6614. Leave us a message, a comment, a question, a take, anything you want to get in and get on a podcast. You certainly can do that there on the sports line 832-941-6614 we check those and then we will get you on a future podcast and a part of the we the people segment that we do frequently here on the show also on social media on twitter at wade word w-a-d-e-s-w-o-r-d and of course the sports talk with devin wade page and group on facebook and i'll tell you what i am starting to do and i need your help I need you guys to tell me how you want me to do this. I am going to start to do Facebook Live as an extension or a part of the podcast. So you tell me what day, what time, tell me what you like and how we can involve Facebook Live into what we do here in the podcast. So you're all caught up there. You know what's going on there. You know how to be interactive. And now there's no excuse. Not that there ever was. And don't be shy, by the way. 
We have the most novice sports fans who don't know very much about anything but have an opinion or a question about something. And then we have experts. We literally have experts. We have folks in the media who do this for a living that listen to the podcast. But we also have folks who study sports and have takes and they have opinions and they sometimes disagree with me. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, we try to satisfy everybody. So if you have a question or comment and you're not sure what it is, just try it. Just try it. Just give us a call. 832-941-6614. And then, of course, get involved some sort of way. Well, this time out, we have a very special show as we have Enos Cabell joining us. He is the special assistant to the general manager for the Houston Astros. So we're going to talk some Astros. Now, I have to tell you, Enos Cabell was one of my favorite players. And we could emulate him. He had mannerisms, very well-known mannerisms, and he was he was my guy. he was a part of that first group of Astros that I was old enough to appreciate and to watch. And uh, we talk about the Astros World Series. We talk uh, a little bit about Joe Morgan, Jimmy Wynn, and we get his take on the season and what's coming up and how the season went for him and dealing with COVID on his team and in this organization. So that's a great conversation that's coming up. Also, we have some headlines. We have a Why We Kneel segment on Thursdays. We have this special segment done by our very own Kalina from the special teams unit. And uh, we'll tell you more about that. But Why We Kneel is coming up. A good day is coming up. I'll tell you who is going to have a good day this weekend. Then we'll take a time out here from our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy, and our sponsor, Cobank Homes. And on the other side of that, I'll get on my soapbox for a little bit where I'll talk a little bit of uh, non-sports, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Then we'll have that conversation with Enos Cabell. Then we have a Lamont Award for the big dummy of the podcast and before I let go. So that's all we have coming up. So let's get started with some headlines. In headlines, there are so many things going on in the world of sports, but breaking news as the Las Vegas Raiders have five players that have been placed on the COVID list. This is in addition to Trent Brown, the offensive lineman who has, he has COVID. Now there are five more players on the COVID list. They have to test positive for five days and possibly they can return on Sunday. Now that was said to be a Sunday night game. Now that game moves to an after afternoon game and the Seattle Arizona game moves to prime time Sunday night because maybe that game is in a little bit of jeopardy and I know that they did not want to be without a prime time NBC Sunday night game so that's something to keep an eye out for as we wind our week towards week seven in the NFL which actually starts tonight with Philadelphia taking on the New York Giants so it's a horrible horrible division game I don't know who's gonna watch that it's up against the World Series by the way we're Series tied at one game apiece last night. The Tampa Bay Rays rebounded and they tied the series up. I think it was six to four was the final in that game, and so it should be interesting heading into game three. Charlie Morton starts tonight for the Rays. So if you get a chance to check in on that, I certainly recommend it. I'll be in and out, I'll be looking at some football. I may, I may, I just, I might peek in on the debates just to see the show live, you know what I mean? Just to see how crazy things can get. So we'll have to check that out to see see what happens uh, with all of those things tonight. So we'll check those out. Also in the NFL, Antonio Brown. 
Now his suspension is now only eight games. He can come back soon. And the Seattle Seahawks, for one, have expressed interest. So, I, man, let me tell you this. Let me start this by saying Antonio Brown was my favorite wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, he was just – he was the guy. More than DeAndre Hopkins, more than Julio Jones, more than – I mean, like, for the, a long time, he was my favorite of those because he's so electrifying. He can go inside, out. He's Man, he was the dude. And then he just – he kind of lost it. He went off the rails in a major way, in a way that was disturbing. Not just a side freak show, not just a side show. A freak show beyond even that. It was where you were really concerned about his mental health. And, and I don't know if we've seen anything to the contrary consistently yet. Although he's been very, very quiet. So somebody disabled his Twitter account. That was the best thing that they could have done. They're keeping him off social media. He's worked his way through whatever court issues he's had, and maybe he's been quiet. So that's a good sign. If I'm Seattle, I'm not. I can't do it. I can't do it. And and not just because of his stuff. You have it kind of rolling now. Now don't get me wrong. He can make your team better potentially, but he can also disrupt a lot of things on that team. You have a guy in DJ Metcalf that's getting all the love, but Tyler Lockett. He's a small guy, but he consistently puts up big numbers he is a a deep threat he's not a number he's a solid number two receiver i would say i mean he's a good receiver you don't want to i don't know i don't know do you take a chance on disrupting the uh the chemistry of that team undefeated team now now you have a strong organization with seattle and they let guys be themselves but still is that is that what we want to do i don't know if that's the fit for him there's a lot of question marks out there Baltimore clearly does not want to deal with him because they are bringing in Des Bryant, going to work him out and try to sign him to the practice squad. Now, that's good for him as a human being to say, okay, after the injury, he's finally able to fight his way back to the NFL. We'll have to see if he makes it. So we'll have to see how any of that goes. Also, there was a trade in the NFL today as Yannick Ngakwe got traded from the Minnesota Vikings to the Baltimore Ravens. So that defense gets even better. Man, they keep a defense. For generations, they've had a defense in that Ravens organization. He'll add to that. I think he has five sacks on the season. He just got to Minnesota. They gave up a, a second and a fifth to get him this offseason. And, and now they give him to Baltimore for a third and a fifth. So so they lose a round in their little experiment with Ngakwe. Maybe they're going to uh, sort of break that team down and, and start over. I don't know. I don't know. They have an offense. Uh, you Maybe at the quarterback position they need to address some things. But th- defensively, they've been horrible this year with him. So maybe uh, they're setting themselves up to get better in the offseason because it's not happening. I mean, you lose a game and go to 1-5 and five on the season. You lose a game to Atlanta, who was previously winless. So, yeah, they're going to probably shake some things up. Look for head coach Mike Zimmer to probably be on his way out. And he has a veteran coaching staff, so I don't know what they're going to do there. It's it's certainly disappointing. It's a really disappointing situation for a team that went 10-6 last year. This was a team that they have a lot of highlights, but Dalvin Cook is beat up right now. So they have some issues, but primarily on defense. So that's going on. Also, Bubba Wallace. 
His new number for his new NASCAR has been announced. He'll be racing in the number 23 car, a car owned by his new team owner, Michael Jordan. So, yes, MJ goes to NASCAR. We talked about this in previous podcasts. It's been all over the news, but it's official. He'll be driving the number 23 car. So that should be a whole lot of fun. Also, we uh, talked some Astros a little bit later on with Enos Cabell. Had a chance to see the Jeff Luno interview in a couple things stood out to me. Although he looked convincing. He certainly looked convincing. But I dare say that if you ostracize anyone from their career, well, from all the people in their career, and separate them from their job, their their chosen profession, and they're, they're scorned and they wear a scarlet letter, and if you're asked a question, you can, you can convince yourself to lie. I don't care. I, so I, I will say this. I don't believe him. Let me put it like this. I think what we are dealing with with Jeff Luno is plausible deniability. So he he can know and not know at the same time. He can say, well, wait, hey, I didn't know, no. And, and some of the, the answers early on in that interview here in the city of Houston was kind of, they were kind of weird. And then my whole thing is if you felt like you were wronged by Major League Baseball, if you were wrongly terminated by the owner, now, I don't know what your exit compensation was. I don't know what you got to leave out, to go away. But I would imagine you would want to sue to, if nothing else, to fight for your name. This is the most litigious society on, on the planet. You don't sue. You don't appeal somehow. You don't complain before now. I, I don't know. I, don't, I can believe he didn't know the bloody, gory details. I can believe maybe, possibly, he didn't know. But he's, a, from what they said, a hands-on general manager. And so, you know, they can't prove that he knew. You can't prove what someone knew, per se, without a smoking gun. They didn't have that smoking gun. But they still, look, baseball still suspended him for a year. And his owner was upset enough to fire him. Now, you can say, oh, he's being scapegoated, and that's not right. Or you can say he's lying because he wants another job. I don't really believe him. He was really, really specific in denying things at the very beginning of that interview. So, I, again, I didn't get into this with Enos Cabell. We mostly talked about on the field, and I wanted to talk about some of the legends of the game of baseball that we, we lost out on who have passed away this year. So we get into some of those things. But for me personally, this is just me. I don't believe him. Because I know he wants to get back in the game. Did he look convincing? Of course. Did he sound convincing? Yes, he sounded convincing. I expect no less. I mean, there are people who go to court every single day and lie. We, we know a lot of people who have been asked questions and they will. I mean, we, we have enough lying in our society to say, okay, yeah, someone can look like they're telling the truth and not be telling the truth. Now, again, I'm if it's me... You didn't sue anybody. You didn't sue uh, Jim Crane for wrongful termination. You, why, why, why did you not? Uh, even if you left with all your money, which I doubt, but you want to clear your name or you want him to make that statement somehow because that's slanderous to say, I knew we were cheating. So, so if they came out and said that you were a part of this cheating scandal, that's slandering your name. That's sullying your reputation in the sport of baseball. To me, that's grounds to sue. And the fact that he did not sue, he did not speak out immediately. And I understand. He said, well, I didn't want, I didn't want to get in the way of the Astros. Man, look, if, if, if you 
do me wrong, I'm going to tell you right away. You're not going to have to wait however long it's been. Months and months and months. You're not going to have to wait for that. I'm telling you that day. I'm doing an interview that night. I'm calling Ed Gordon the BET. We're going to get the record straight. That was from way back. That was I think he did the R. Kelly interview way, way back. But I don't, I'm calling somebody, Nora O'Donnell. We're going to talk about this tonight. <laughs> we're going to get this we're going to get this straight today. I'm not going to wait way down the road and after all the, the, the water's passed under the bridge and then I'm going to say, "Yeah, I didn't do it. I didn't do it." Give me your take on that if you like. I don't believe him. Now, do I think he specifically said, "Well, we need this kind of trash can and we need this kind of camera?" No. But the fact that your manager knew about it, either you were just <laughs> you were not in control of your organization or you're lying. And if in either case, we got to get you got to go. That's like Agent Hinch. Oh, I, I knew about it. And I was upset, but the players didn't stop. What? If you are the man, if you are given a team to lead, when you say this, that this is not going to happen, this better not happen. And if it does, we have a problem. I'm suspending you. We don't even have to go to the league. But you're going to say, oh, I broke a monitor. I was, they knew I was upset. No, they will know you're upset when you're sus you suspend their asses for doing it or find somebody, some cameraman somewhere. So, I, you know, that's a thing that is a tempest in a teapot in the world of sports around the country. But here in Houston, and again, I want to reiterate this too also. This ended in 2018, even by his account. It ended in 2018. So, the 18 one is, shouldn't be tainted. And the 2019 and 2020 campaign certainly can't be tainted. Um, but once they label you, you, you wear that label. But with that, I want to transition to something we do each and every Thursday. It is the Why We Kneel segment done by Kalina. It is recognizing some of the names and uh, lives of folks who lost their lives in dealing with police misconduct in some cases criminal behavior in other cases and and a lot of question marks around police injustice and police brutality this is not something to indict or attack law enforcement folks because we we lost one here in the city of houston it was a terrible terrible thing and i have many friends in law enforcement i don't it's not about that it's more about there's a systemic problem with how black people are treated by law enforcement and we want to recognize those folks who lost their lives. Because if, you, if you've seen George Floyd, this is not an indictment against all police to acknowledge that he was murdered. Or Breonna Taylor. Or some of the others. And one that she's going to tell you about right now. This is why we kneel. Feeling the chilling moments that led to a police you officer wow. shooting now. me. Ultimately, wow. is to bring Please, awareness and make people... Colin Kaepernick kneeling to protest social injustice and police, yet unsigned by any NFL team. He's fired. He's fired! Why we kneel. On February 16, 2014, in Bastrop County, Texas, a call was placed to 911 reporting a dispute between two men. When Bastrop County police arrived, the altercation had died down. Officer Daniel Willis saw a woman inside the house they were called to and demanded she come out. As she opened her friend's front door, Willis called out, Police! and fired upon the woman using his personal AR-15 rifle without warning. That woman and the caller's name was Yvette Smith. Willis was charged with murder and was fired. 
After failure to reach a unanimous verdict, deadlocked at 8-4 in favor of guilty, a mistrial was declared, and Willis waived his right to trial by jury. Judge Albert McKaig ruled Daniel Willis was not guilty of murder. Yvette Smith was a former caretaker and was 47 years old. She is why we kneel. more content, go to WaysWordProductions.com. I want to thank Kalina for that. That comes out each and every Thursday. And if you have any feedback on that, 832-941-6614 to reach out and leave a message or a comment for her. She certainly appreciates the feedback whenever you guys give it. So with that, going to go to a good day segment. But before I tell you who's going to have a good day this weekend, I am going to run down how last week went for me. So if you don't know, I picked five teams and five players each each week before the weekend to say they are going to have a good day. Either they're going to win or they're going to have a big fantasy day or they're going to have big numbers. And so I'm going to give you those in just a second, but let me tell you about the results from last week. Last week I had Pittsburgh over Cleveland. Check. I had Baltimore over Philadelphia. Check. I had Green Bay over Tampa Bay. Got that one wrong. Started off strong. 10-0 lead. Aaron Rodgers was doing some kind of dance that didn't look too kosher. <laughs> but whatever. He ended up turning it over the, the football throwing two interceptions. So I got that one wrong. Carolina over Chicago. Man, 5-1 and one Bears. Man, are we overlooking them or what? Quarterback change and all. No Mitchell Trubisky. Instead, we have Nick Foles. And they keep rolling. 5-1. and one, They beat Carolina. So I was wrong there. And in my upset special, I was 59 minutes and 56 seconds away from being right. I had the Houston Texans defeating the Tennessee Titans. That just, ah, ah, Romeo Cornell. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, that did not come to fruition. So for the week, I was two and three when it comes to teams. And overall, that gives me a record of 17 and a half to seven and a half you do get half points i make the rules so i get half points on my upset specials i'm two and three on the season i have another one coming up in just a minute as it pertains to players from last week i said derrick henry would have a good day 264 total yards yeah that's a good day a two-point conversion and two touchdowns check kyler murray he was nine of 24 he only had 100 some odd yards two touchdowns i give myself a half point not anything under double digit completions even in the win that's not quite a good day. You didn't need to have a good day, so y'all get a half point. Adam Thielen, he had three catches, 51 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, that they yeah, that came late. No, didn't work out. He gets a half point for that. So I, right there, that gives me two points. Then you have Aaron Donald. I said Aaron Donald on that defensive front for the Rams would have a good day last week, and they just did not versus San Francisco. They ended up losing that game 24-16. So that's a big-time X for me on that one. And this is my biggest X probably of the season. I don't know what I was thinking. But I said Joe Flacco would step in as the starter for Sam Darnold for the New York Jets, and I said that he would have a good day. He was 21-44. for 44. He had an interception, and they, again, were blown out of the water so much so that Tua Tagovailoa ended the game and now he's the starter. And poor <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you want to say that about a, a journeyman quarterback, he did everything he was supposed to do. 67 to 17, he's led the last uh, his teams over the, the victory, to victory over the last two weeks. Wasn't enough. They put Tua in the last two minutes and they let him throw two passes. 
They were, I mean, the game was over. Fitzpatrick was chilling on the sideline. And now he's just starter. I think that's a, uh, a Lamont Award recipient in the making, Brian Flores. We'll have to see. And then you're going to throw him to the Wolves against Aaron Donald on that defensive line again? Ooh, man. Not again, but for the first time. But you're going to throw him against those Wolves? Ugh, not looking too good. But if you want to know who's going to have a good day this week, here are the folks who are going to have a good day. If you're looking for teams in Week 7 that are going to have a good day, start with the battle of the undefeateds as the Pittsburgh Steelers take on the Tennessee Titans and someone's O has to go. And I think it'll be the Tennessee Titans as that Steeler defense that only allows 66.2 yards per game rushing will contain Derrick Henry and they will remain undefeated. The Buffalo Bills will find redemption after getting beat up by the Kansas City Chiefs. They'll beat up on division foe, the New York Jets, and they will have a good day. When you talk about important divisional games look at the nfc west where the seattle seahawks with or without antonio brown will have a good day over the arizona cardinals they'll keep it rolling they'll remain undefeated the green bay packers travel to houston to take on the houston texans and aaron Rodgers will recover from a two interception day versus tampa bay last week it'll be close it'll be a shootout but i think the green bay packers will have a good day in my upset special the tampa bay buccaneers will go to las vegas and beat up on the raiders the game time has been moved you have offensive linemen out some may be back, some may not. Nonetheless, Tampa Bay will cruise to an upset victory over the Raiders. When talking about players who are going to have a good day, take any running back versus the Houston Texans. The Texans, one of the worst rush defenses in the entire NFL, and Aaron Jones averages 77.8 yards per game. That number will go up after Sunday. He'll have a good day. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers D-line will have a good day versus the Oakland Raiders. Whoever's on the offensive front, Derek Carr will have a rough, rough day, but the Tampa Bay D-line will have a good day. Cam Newton stumbled and fumbled last week after returning from COVID. This week versus San Francisco, he'll bounce back. Not saying they'll win, but he will have a good day. Deshaun Watson had 335 yards and four touchdowns last week. He'll do the same or something similar versus Green Bay. They may lose, but he'll have a good day. And finally, Matt Ryan of the Atlanta Falcons had a good day versus the Vikings last week. Versus the Lions this week, he'll have a good day again. They allow 28.6 points per game. Matt Ryan will get all of that and maybe a little bit more. He will have a good day. All those teams and all those players are going to have a good day. With that, wrapping up the first half of this episode of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, about to uh, hear from our sponsor, Cobank Homes, and our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. On the other side, I'll get on my soapbox, and we'll hear from Enos Cabell in a very entertaining and informative conversation with the baseball, the Houston baseball legend, Enos Cabell, special assistant to the general manager for the Houston Astros. And then we have Amon Award for the big dummy of the episode gonna take time out come back more the sports talk with devin wade podcast anywhere you get your podcast sports talk with devin wade wants to thank our sponsor kofi bankus and cobank homes the vision at cobank homes is simple and it stems from the belief that clients can trust cobank to guide them to realize one of if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make their home cobank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service they do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. 
be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. on the mix that's how it got and if you'd like your music heard on the podcast you can submit your music to music at wagewordproductions.com just email me music at wagewordproductions.com and we'll play a snippet at the halfway point in an entire track or an extended portion of a mix at the end of the episode so it doesn't matter the genre we ask that it's radio edit if you are or have friends or family that are musicians and are fledgling artists and they have music they want heard, we've uh, we've done a lot. We've done gospel, hip hop, uh, we've done Latin jazz, we've done all sorts of music, and uh, we welcome any and all. So music at wagewordproductions.com. Well, I want to clear up a couple things. I said that the offensive linemen are in on the COVID list for the NFL for the Las Vegas Raiders. I said if they have five i said five positive but i meant they have five negative tests and i think if they come back clean sunday morning the the five days if they come back sunday morning clean i think they can participate come sunday so we'll we'll see about that also i want to go back and say this again i want to always reiterate this when we talk about the cheating scandal I think, again, they are making way too much. They scapegoated the Astros. This, Even though the Luno thing is the Luno thing, and it is what it is, I just think that they scapegoated this team and given them a bad reputation when we know Boston, Yankees, and several other teams around Major League Baseball have done as much or maybe slightly less. Not, not significantly less, but slightly less. So that sort of gets me going and gets my blood pumping a little bit and that makes way for a segment that i call my soapbox when we are together we got power and now it's time to get on the soapbox my soapbox i usually talk about political stuff and i will a little bit here i mean it gives me an opportunity to kind of vent it's like 
I'm sort of thrusting you guys into riding with me in the afternoon stuck in traffic where I get to and complain about my day <laughs> so, or what's on my mind. I'm the old man shaking my fist. So the debate is tonight. And I said earlier in the week, I'm not watching it. I'm probably going to peek in on it just out of curiosity because at this point, Trump knows he's losing and he may do any damn thing on that stage tonight. It, it can be... It could be wide open. Anything can happen. So I'm going to peek in on that. I'm going to, if there was any real alternative as it pertains to football, I would be watching football in the World Series. I'll still peek in on the World Series, see how Charlie Morton uh, is doing uh, versus the Dodgers. A former Astro was clutch for the Astros in 2017, but it kind of still stings to see that guy, the way he dismantled us uh, in the ALCS, Game 7. So tough stuff. I'm rooting for him, but not. I, I don't, you know, I try to just divorce myself from that entire World Series. But back to on my soapbox. As I am on my soapbox, I want to remind you guys, please vote. I've already voted. So I don't care what happens. They can do whatever. My vote is counted already. I want you guys to do the same. Uh, a lot of crazy stuff going on these days. But let's make sure that we have as true a democracy as we can. And that involves participation so please vote i'm not gonna really go way way deep this time i, I could but i won't um, but yeah so we'll see what happens tonight but it doesn't matter to me and i'm sure for 99 see, i see if you want to get me mad talk about people who are undecided at this point the only people that should be undecided should be making about four or five hundred thousand dollars a year Saying, well, do I want to save my money or save democracy? <laughs> do I want to save a few dollars or do I want to save the United States of America? <laughs> and that shouldn't take long to figure out that debate. So with that, going to get into a conversation with Enos Cabell, the special assistant to the general manager. He's been with the Astros since 2004. He played eight or nine seasons with the Astros. Again, grew up one of my favorite players. I mean, him, Cesar Cedeno, Jose Cruz, J.R. Richard. I mean, those are my guys. Joe Sambito, Joe Negro, Ken Forsh. Knew that whole team. Art Howe, Luis Prujos. I, I told you this before. <laughs> I don't know why, but the only player I didn't like for the Astros. I wasn't always a Dave Smith fan, but that was for obvious reasons. Check the Mets series in 86. <laughs> but... <laughs> But the only player I didn't, I never liked Joaquin Endahar. Never liked him. I don't know. I, for, number 47. I don't know. But we uh, we get into a number of things. And here is our discussion with our guy, Enos Cabell of the Houston Astros. How are you this morning, Mr. Cabell? I'm fine, Devin, and yourself? I'm doing great. It's been, it seems like it's been years since we talked, but we talked before the season, and then, of course, COVID and all the craziness that has come with that. First and foremost, uh, how has this season been? How has health been for folks in and around the organization as it pertains to COVID? Well, it started okay in spring training, and then probably about two-thirds of the way into spring training, the COVID virus hit. And then everything went probably crazy. Uh, it's been all like that all over the world. But in baseball, it really took a, a really step back to realize what it could entail 
and how we were going to get try to get through the season. How did it affect your day-to-day interaction? Obviously, everything changed in, in regards to how protocols were handled with access to the team and being around the team. How did that change your day-to-day around the Astros? Well, I was in spring training when they uh, really canceled spring training. So I knew what was going to happen. And we went into some meetings trying to discuss and figure out how we were going to play. Uh, and it got really bad and the players were sent home and uh, everybody, some people stayed at the start and then they were sent home also because the virus was so, was so rampant all over the place. My job was really to instruct, watch, give advice. And, you know, we talked about different things, how to complete it or keep going on. And it ended up the season just kept pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. And they really wanted to play. The players wanted to play. The organization wanted to play because we thought we had a really good chance of winning because we had a good team. And then guys started falling by the wayside when we started. Uh, Guys started getting sick. Uh, Some came into uh, the second part of spring training, and they had the virus, so they had to be quarantined. And then some of them couldn't even play. Uh, One or two didn't even start. Uh, Other people had family members that were affected, and they could have really infected the whole team. So it was crazy. We went into certain protocols. Uh, I went to practically every game at home, uh, but I did not go on the road. I did not go to the minor league season because that didn't even start. So it was really tough. Uh, I, I was not able to go down in the clubhouse, so I never went in the clubhouse at all this whole year and watched the games really from a suite upstairs. So we had to make a lot of adjustments, as people have seen. And some of the players that we counted on opted out not to play. So we had probably, instead of a championship team, we had like almost half minor league team, and our pitching staff was devastated. And we had to bring up all those kids, and they pitched well. Yeah, we didn't think, uh, none of the fans, none of the media thought that you would have to count on those young arms. Talk a little bit about the young guys that stepped up, because it's incredible to see what happened with that pitching staff and how young they were and how well they performed. Well, most of those kids, uh, some of them hadn't even played double-A ball or triple-A ball. They were A-ball players, so it really gave them a chance, and... Me, seriously, I didn't think we were that deep with our pitching staff and our players. And what ended up showing us that the players came out, I mean, they threw the heck out of the ball. I mean, they showed that they could pitch in the major leagues, and they did a great job. Most of those kids, people don't know, they're only 22, 23, maybe 24 years old. And Paredes, all those young kids came up. Some of them were starters. And some of them were relievers. And, you know, they, I mean, they were making maybe $1,000 a month or maybe $1,500 a month, the kids that we brought up. And all of a sudden, they're in the major leagues. But the toughest thing, I think, out of all of that stuff, they had to quarantine. Uh, We went on the road for the last uh, maybe 10 days, and they ended up never coming home. They never came back home. So they played probably the last month on the road uh, glued to their hotels because they could not leave the hotel to go out to eat or anything like that. 
So people don't understand. They were in their rooms for a whole month by themselves. Unbelievable. You talk about the pictures that which which of the young fellas stood out the most to you? Who was the biggest surprise? Because again, you've been seeing these guys for years, so you knew who could be pretty good. Who surprised you the most out of all of the young pitchers? Well, the, the couple of those kids, Paredes and uh, uh, the, the like, the twenty-two year olds. We had two guys, and then Eucredi uh, came back after he had covert. And he pitched really well, which we were counting on him. So a couple of those kids are probably going to be number one, number two starters in the future. Because really they came up, they didn't know what they were doing at all. They had never been, some of them hadn't even been in the major league spring training camps. And they came in, they pitched well. Scrubs pitched well. I mean, he matured at first part of the season. I mean, he had like, oh, he gave up maybe 10 hits and he had 15 walks. And then at the end of the year, he became one of our most best relievers uh, with his breaking ball. So <clears throat> we look really good right now. Hopefully those kids will mature and get better. And I don't know how you could get much better than what they did at the end of the year. How proud are you of this uh, this organization and this team bouncing back? Obviously the the 60 games didn't go exactly like you wanted, but once you got in the postseason, they, they proved why they are a championship-level team. How proud are you of, of the entire organization for how they handled this season? Well, I mean, after all the injuries, Verlander went down. We thought we were really in trouble, and then a couple of other guys went down. Uh, our closer, Osuna, got hurt. He couldn't pitch anymore. We had no closer. We had no number one starter. And the guys really came. They kind of struggled or wavered in the middle and right at the end. And then the playoffs came and you said, Jesus, what happened? They turned it on. The veterans started playing. And the, our veterans probably are 26 years old. I mean, you see that. I think Carlos Correa became the leader. He, if you saw him, any of the games, you saw the way he pitched and the way he acted. Uh, he talked a lot of mess, but he backed it up. I mean, us knowing people like that, if you talk mess, you better back it up or you're going to get run over. And he did all of that. A few of our guys struggled at the end, but then when the playoffs started, they act like they were playing the same as they did when we won the World Series. Oh, talk about the the job Dusty Baker did because, of course, uh, even in Game Six with the re the relationship with Granky and how he handled Jose Altuve's errors and and lifting him up. Just talk about what Dusty did for this team, which we thought what they were going to get booed on on the road, and we saw some dust ups uh, during the the sixty games. But Dusty sort of guided them through all of that. Talk a little bit about what he was able to do with this team. Oh, he was magnificent. Uh, I don't know who, who managed better than him. I mean, we didn't win as many games during the season as other teams did, but what he did with our pitching staff, I mean, he pitched he pitched the one game where he only threw the kids. The kid, we pitched five kids and beat them. Game five. And, mm -hmm. and I don't know how you do that. He didn't know these kids because most of them, as I said, were not even in spring training. But he got the team to play together. They came to the forefront. And, I mean, a lot of people didn't like some of the moves that he had, but he couldn't make any other moves because we didn't have anybody else. We probably used every pitcher that we had in our minor league system. And that was, I didn't think we were that deep. 
So, and I know mostly all the players. Some of these players I had never met before they got here. And Dusty, he pulled them all together. He didn't have those meetings where you go in and you have to cuss the whole team out because we're playing bad. He went in and he was like a like a grandfather or your good uncle. You know, you got the bad uncle and you got the good <laughs> uncle. <laughs> and, and, and he was the good uncle. I mean, they they loved him and they played for him. I mean, it's I don't think we could have hired anybody better than that because I was in the meetings when we picked the manager and I said he can the guys will play for him, but he went above in a call of duty. I mean, he became the spokesman for the team, and he t- he talked. I mean, you couldn't get on him about different things he did. People might not have liked the moves that he did, but there was a process. And you're thinking, sitting at home thinking, well, why don't he use Presley? Why don't he use Presley? If he'd use Presley every day that he could, he, Presley's arm would have fell off. So the kids had to pitch, and he used them, him and Brinstrom did a hell of a job but the leader is dusty and i mean we picked the right guy no matter what anybody says and your conversations with him what has he said about uh, this group and and this season for him because this i mean it was really different for him Uh, of course he he having a mask on and gloves on he is it was totally (laughs) different what has he said about it it was probably his best coaching job i mean losing your best players mostly in your pitching staff how do you win? And the main thing after about halfway through it is that we need to just get in the playoffs. And the guys that were not playing well, you know they would pick it up because the limelights come on, the lights come on. And they play better with that because they played that whole year with hardly any fans at all in the stands. I don't think we might have had 20 people at the ballpark in Houston. And what he did – it's it's almost like a miracle because we were not supposed to win. They didn't want us to win for sure. They definitely didn't want us in the World Series. So if we'd have come back and won that, I mean, people would have been talking all that mess again. But, hell, the only way you can get people off your tail is that you beat them. You beat them and you beat them and you beat them. Once you get that whipping, you know, where we're from. And once you get that whipping, you'll stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask you about uh, Jose Altuve. In in the uh, ALCS, he struggled with some basic throws, had some errors that were really costly. What do you tell a veteran guy like him? I mean, a former MVP, this guy is a leader on this team, and he struggled with sort of that basic throw to first and and turning double plays. What do you tell a guy like that to get him out of that kind of weird space? Well, there's certain things you can do. Uh, As I said, I was not able to go down and talk to him. I've known Jose since he was 16 and a half when we first got him. So I've known him a long time. But, you know, I couldn't go down to the clubhouse. I would have told him he needed to shuck his belt up and he needed to do certain things. Uh, when you get to that, it's called a yips. When you get to that position, is you have to think in your mind and then you have there's certain exercises or throws that you have to make. And he, I don't know if he was fighting it. I don't know if the coaches were trying to tell him what to do or whatever, but I've known him since he was a kid and we had him. Uh, you've got a long toss. You got to throw long and stretch your arm out. And you know our defense is different. Also, is him playing second base and him short on short arming the ball. 
he was playing in short right field like like uh, the girls or the ladies do when you do the uh, put the middle infielder and you put him in the right center or up in center in the middle of it. And he could not make that throw anymore. So you notice at the end of the uh, those games in Tampa, we end up moving Carlos out there in the right field and then moving uh, Jose back closer to second base. But once you get the yips, uh, I played with Steve Sachs, and Steve Sachs would be 10 feet from me, and he'd throw the ball in the stands in Dodger Stadium. And that's and I'm sitting there, and Tommy Lasorda used to say, E, E, what happened? I said, he threw the damn ball in the stands. I can't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's an interesting thing because it seems to be all mental. And, uh, do yes. you think that this is going to carry over for him? Is that over? I mean, did he? I mean, he kind of no. he, he had some some shaky throws, but he got them done. You know, right. later on in that series, is that that over for him? Well, we hope so. I think so. Usually, it's a it's a, a deal. That everybody's career has it. I didn't have it that much because I threw from the outfield a lot. But, you know, you get it, and then you don't know how to fix it. And certain things that you have to do to fix it. And then once you get to spring training next year, he'll probably work that out, and he hopefully he doesn't have it again. Because Sachs had it for one or two years, and then uh, Knobloch also had it. Uh, prevalent guys that were really good players. But, you know, if there's things you can do to work it out, and then once you forget about it. But this whole year was just totally different everything was different and hell he, he couldn't go to the ballpark early early to throw for long to try to get it out of his his ceiling yeah I, and i want to ask you of course the, the team went down 3-0 and they were able to come back and force a game seven how amazing was that and and then what does that say about this group of guys and dusty and the entire team well it we should have won probably one or two of those first two, three games because if you notice, or you, I know the people saw everything they dove at, uh, there were men on base and they made all the plays. Yeah. I mean, usually it was 10, 12 plays in those three games that we would have scored runs on and we didn't score anything because of they, them making the plays. They played great defense and I've, you know, what I thought would happened to us we would have to score a lot of runs and we didn't because our young pitching was so good but i mean if we win one of those those first three we've we probably get out of there in the fifth sixth game and we win the we win the series so it changed a lot uh it's just you know you play a team like that but they don't score a lot of runs never have and they had the great pitchers and uh, the odds were against us. Nobody thought we were going to win the first first series with Minnesota, and we won that. And then they really played well the last three, four games against Tampa. And, but we should have won one of those three, the first three. Right. Now, I want to ask you, moving forward, you got – uh, three big name free agents. You have obviously Springer. You have Brantley. You have Reddick. I mean, how important is it to keep uh, at least two of those guys? What are your thoughts on the free agents, the big name free agents? Well, I mean, George. George is just a, a playoff player. Plus, he's one of our best players that we probably ever had. Uh, George is going to command a lot of money. Uh, there's maybe two or three teams that can afford George. Uh, we may be one of those, 
But then, the, as you notice, the money sometimes gets out of whack. And if he goes into $150, $200 million, uh, I don't think we can afford George. Uh, Brantley wants to stay here. So does George. But I think we'd be able to sign Brantley to keep him in that lineup because he's such a good hitter. And then, you know, we lost we lost Verlander. He's not going to be available for, what, 2022? Right. And so... So we don't have really a, a one because, uh, you know, Grinky is not a number one starter. I mean, he probably hasn't been that in two or three years. He can still pitch, but he's not a number one starter. Usually a number one starter throws 95 to 100 miles an hour. Grinky cannot do that. So <clears throat> hopefully we can sign Brantley. Uh, most of the, all our kids are young, so they don't, they don't get paid a lot of money. And we probably need to find a closer because uh, I think Presley is a seventh, eighth inning guy and putting that pressure on him continuously every day, uh, I don't think you can do that. What about uh, Osuna As- 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 is uh, set to come back at what? Will he be able to be back next next season or maybe late <clears throat> in the season? Well, we don't know yet because he, he still, I don't think he still has an operation yet. Uh, if he has to have it, he was trying to do it without having an operation. Uh, so, and plus, he's a he's a free agent also. So he would have to sign a contract, and I don't know if that's going to be feasible or not. Because you hadn't seen him throw, nobody's seen him throw. So, don't know if he can or not. Want to ask you about a couple of the the losses in uh, in the world of baseball? Joe Morgan, Astro. Just a, a huge, huge loss. Bob Gibson also a loss in, in the world of baseball. Talk a little bit about Joe first, though. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you knew Joe really, really well throughout the years. The second bat time he was here, he was with you, right? The second time, or were you gone when he came back from uh, Cincinnati? No, I was here. That was 1980. Uh, he had come back to play with us and probably give us some maturity, and it really helped. Uh, Joe, it is. I don't know if you knew that Joe was my best friend. Okay. So we talk. We talk continuously. He's been probably sick for the last four or five years, and he had a uh, two knee replacements, and one of the knee replacements really did not go well. And so he was trying to fix, get that fixed, and then he had some other stuff go wrong. So he was he was kind of walking very gently when he could walk. And he really walked with a cane for a long time. But uh, he really got sick, and he got sick quickly. So, uh, you know, God takes you when he wants to, and no doctors or anybody else can can stop it. If he wants you, he's coming to get you. Bob Gibson and those guys, I played with all of those guys or against them. And I think in probably a matter of six months, Bob Watson, Jimmy Wynn, all of those guys passed. Uh, I played against and proud with practically all of them. So it was really, it's been a bad year. Uh, COVID all with that. And it's been a bad year for, for especially black players. Uh, we've lost a lot. 
I want to go back to uh, Joe and Jimmy. What do we not know? What what did what did you appreciate being his best friend? What did you appreciate the most about Joe? How was Joe away from baseball? Because again, everybody loved Joe, and I, we talked a lot about in the last couple of times out. We talked about what a wonderful broadcaster he was, a color guy. Of course, you know the great years, the Big Red Machine, him coming up through the Astros organization. But away from baseball, what kind of guy was he? Well, really good guy. We've we've we traveled practically all over the world playing golf because both of us were golfers. And I mean, he did a lot of stuff for a lot of people. You could always go to Joe, ask him questions, and he would give you an answer. And he wouldn't give you one answer; he'd give you two or three, and let you decide what the real answer was. He wasn't controlling you, but he was giving you ideas of what he went through or other people about how to go through and get your problem solved. Uh, he was, uh, I think people know that he was vice chairman of the Hall of Fame also, so he had the respect of all the former Hall of Famers or the Hall of Famers that were there. So he was a guidance, but he was a sound mind. And he worked for the commissioner's office. I don't know if people know that. He worked for Cincinnati and for the commissioner, trying to give him advice on certain things to do and how to head off problems that were coming. He's a really smart guy, and he was successful at everything he did. He owned a car dealership in Cincinnati. Uh, he was on the different boards of different big companies where they looked for his advice. But a uh, really good guy. He thought he was the best black iron player in the United States. <laughs> so, so he would always tell you that when you, when you play with him. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of money changed hands on the golf course, I'm sure. Huh? Well, I wouldn't let him beat me up now. I can defend <laughs> myself. <laughs> what about Jimmy Wynn? Uh, obviously, a huge loss. I mean, big losses for the Astros organization. What about what he meant to this city, this team, and what kind of person was he away from the field? A oh, great person. I mean, uh, Jimmy got religion about – Oh, maybe 35 years ago. And uh, from then, he would always answer his phone, you know, in God we trust, and he'd have sayings and stuff on there. Uh, but, you know, it was a shame because he, he went really quick also because he, he got a disease, his legs swelled up, his, and he couldn't walk. But uh, And then at the end, he couldn't talk. But all the guys respected him because of his size, him and Joe, because they were little guys. And then Jimmy, if, I don't know if a lot of people have been in the dome when we played baseball there, and they had to hit the ball all the way up in the stands. And Jimmy's got got boxes and seats up there where he's hit balls. And he was a little bitty guy, but a uh, great player, really good people. And all the, all the players loved him. I mean, when he'd come around, he'd been in his wheelchair. I mean, the guys would come over, hug him and stuff. And he knew everybody, So and everybody knew Jimmy. So we've lost some good guys. Him, we lost Bob Watson, who Bob was the first uh, minority black general manager, and he won the first World Series of a black guy when he was with uh, the New York Yankees. Right, right. So really smart. Me and Bob grew up together in Los Angeles. So uh, it's a wonder we lost so many people. We lost probably 12 minority players in the last eight months. Which is which is crazy. So yeah, we well, don't have a lot. We don't have a lot of leaders left.
Yeah, and I know a lot of folks are celebrating the 100 uh, anniversary of the Negro Leagues, and and really a lot of people rooting for Dusty Baker, uh, African American manager, to go to World Series. Dave Roberts is there now. Um, what are your thoughts about the World Series? Any any thoughts on the World Series at all? Well, when we didn't make it, you know, I, I played for the Dodgers, and I still don't like them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so. So, and I, hey, I grew up in Los Angeles. I don't like them, and I'm sure that I like Tommy Davis and Willie Davis. But I was a Giants fan. I was San Francisco Giants. Willie Mays. Yeah, and but, you played uh, for the Giants too, right? Yes, I played for the Giants also. Yeah, but uh, I mean. I hope Dave is successful because he's been in the playoffs for a few years now and he hasn't won the World Series yet and he needs to win it. I don't think Tampa can beat them because the Dodgers are really good. I was looking forward to playing them in the playoffs just so they could boo us. Like I said, I want to thank you for your time, man. It's been a uh, crazy year, but again, yes. that that postseason has been one for the record books. It's been incredible, and uh, we look forward to to catching up with you about next year because a lot can happen between now and I don't know. I guess by spring training will be scheduled for the regular time. I guess we still don't know what's going to happen moving forward with COVID. So, yeah, it's hard to imagine. We don't know uh, what do you think. How do you think this thing is going to move forward? Do you think spring training will go off on time? Obviously, at some point, fans will be back. Uh, how, how will any of this go, in, in your opinion? Well, I think the key deal is if we can get a vaccine. If there's vaccines available, I think a lot of people should get them. I know I've, I've already told my wife, I said, I'm getting two different ones. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can do that, but I'm getting two different ones because yeah. I'm 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 71 years old, so I have I have stuff wrong with me yeah. or, or stuff. I don't know. You know, us black people have high blood pressure and diabetes and everything else. So I'm getting two, but <laughs> but ho- hopefully, if there's a vaccine, I think everything will go probably smoothly. Uh, and it's a certain ways that you can get fans into the game. You can do uh, distancing and everything else, which they did in Texas for the World Series. But uh, you've got to have fans in the stands because if not, then they lose millions of money. Uh, and it's, the number is devastating. So we've got to get fans in the stands somewhere or another. But I think the vaccine is the key. If the vaccine is available, uh, then I think everything would go probably smoothly. I don't know if they're going to be 40. You know, we dropped 35,000 here a game in Texas. So. It needs to be where we can put the people in the stands and they can make some money. Because you got to pay the players. They're not going to play for free. Well, hey, I want to thank you for your time. And I want to wish you well. Hope you, you hope you stay healthy again. I know you suffered a lot of personal loss when you talk about the guys that you just talked about. But, uh, you know, you have a, a great team to look forward to. We'll have to see what happens uh, heading into next season. Certainly appreciate yeah. your time. All right. Thanks, Devin. I want to thank Enos Cabell for joining us. And I had an opportunity to at least be around him a little bit. We had dinner when he was uh, serving as the interim athletic director at Texas Southern University. I think we were on a road trip. He and uh, Leonard Moon and myself, we were the broadcast team. And he, of course, was traveling as the athletic director for Texas Southern. Had a chance to have a have dinner and a great conversation with him back then. But, you know, if you go back, and I, one of the coolest things about being in sports media and being a sports fan growing up, 
you get a chance to someday talk to and interact with some of your uh, some of the, the legends and heroes of your youth. And I've had an opportunity to to do that through the years. And again, you talk about what's important, you know, with the Astros. It's different now. It's hard for people to understand if you aren't old enough. But as kids, you didn't have 50 channels. You had like five channels. So as a kid, you were either going to watch Barnaby Jones or any opportunity to watch any sports possible. You had a game of the week that was a national game. You might have, for a little while, you had Monday night baseball. You had Monday night football, of course, and you got two games a week. And one of those games was going to always be the Dallas Cowboys in Houston. But you didn't. You, whenever sports was on, you watched that sport. And so I spent, you know, all of my summers, and you you watch the Astros. Whenever the Astros are on, you you know, and you can't go outside. You can't be out acting like a baseball player. You watch baseball. And Enos Cabell was one of those guys because we, we we could imitate all of those batting stances. Jose Cruz's, uh, Enos Cabell's, there were a number of guys. You could just Terry Poole, all those guys. You you could, and you you knew how they batted, and you could emulate that. Uh, and it was a, you know it was great, and it's great to have an opportunity to talk to these guys later in life. I mean, and I've had the pleasure. Uh, I said Earl Campbell was a guy that I had an opportunity to interview a couple of times. So many guys. I mean, Jim Brown, talked to Jim Brown for hour, over an hour. Deacon Jones. Deacon Jones had me sweating, ready to suit up again and, t- and when I talked to him. But so many other guys, and, and I'm sure that I've interviewed a ton of athletes that are the heroes of other people. And it's been a, a wonder, that's one of the perks uh, to doing what we do here. But I want to thank him for that. Looking forward to what happens with the Astros in the offseason. But, boy, those young arms give you a lot to be excited about. So with that, I want to go to a segment that we call the Lamont Award. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player, team, entity, someone in or around the world of sports and that we deem to be the big dummy of the episode well this time out we have a repeat offender we're going back to florida we're going to dan mullen again and again this is is so offensive what he did i mean you're talking about getting your comeuppance he he's a guy i mean you don't want to wish illness on anyone but this was a guy the head coach of the university of florida who advocated strongly just stood on his soapbox to say hey we want 99,000 people in the stands in Gainesville for our next home game well what happened well now they have 31 maybe 32 players in that program that have COVID 31 or 32 football players depending on the official count that have COVID and he has COVID (laughs) so I mean again I don't want to yes I do want to laugh at this it's funny, but it's, it's it's infuriating because you have a responsibility as a head coach. And I gave this to you just a couple weeks ago, a week, a week or two ago. I just gave it to you. You just got it. And I want to give it to you again. Now he blames. He went through the whole protocol. He said, well, we think maybe a couple guys who tested negative the day before, maybe they got on the plane and they, we think they had it then. And then one guy had a roommate. And then these guys dined together. And then uh, on the trip to Texas A&M, the locker rooms are smaller. We're a little bit more cramped. Yes, those are all the reasons why people said we probably shouldn't play football. Now, God forbid something happens to 
to critically injure or, or harm a player or a coach, but you don't want anybody. And we've already heard about these abnormalities from a cardiac standpoint that have uh, kept a couple kids in college football from playing football, again, at least for this season. They can't play this year because of some heart condition that has developed as a result of COVID. But these are the reasons why. Like, why do you? Why does it have to happen to you for you to say, you know what? Yeah, um, yeah, this is how it happened. Yeah, well, okay, but he still hasn't admitted. Okay, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. And I say this with the Big Ten about to resume. I understand money makes the world go round, and this is what. They are compelled to do. And that's fine that you're compelled to, you have to play. You have to do your job. You have to play. But it's a whole entirely different thing to say, I want, not, but for my own selfish reasons, because I want to win a game, I want 99,000 people in the stands. I'm going to be interested to see what he has to say when he goes back. They are supposed to resume business as usual on Monday. We'll have to see about that. I doubt it. Uh, but they won't play again until they play Missouri. But you wanted 99,000 folks, man. And now 32 of your kids have COVID and you have COVID. And I guess he's recovering fine. He did press and not in person, but he did a Zoom call with press. So he's not going to die, but he is a, a dumb and he's selfish and not very thoughtful when thinking about cramming 99,000 people into a stadium. Maybe he'll rethink that. That's the question I would like asked and answered. So for another time, for the second time in two or three weeks, Dan Mullen, you are a big dummy. You big dummy. <laughs> <laughs> This thing continues to spiral out of control. Uh, numbers are, are spiking in different parts of the country. I want everybody to be careful. Mask up. Do what you have to do. But this is entirely preventable if we were a responsible, accountable country. But that's not where we are right now. <laughs> God ain't through with us yet. We, we're still working to get there. We're, our evolution continues. So with that, before I let go. Before I let go, hey, want to thank you guys. Want to thank Enos Cabell for joining us. Want to thank CoBank Homes, our sponsor. Want to thank our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. Want to thank Kalina for Why We Kneel. Want to remind all of you guys to like, subscribe, leave messages, interact with us any way you can, especially on the sports line, 832-941-6614. And also want to uh, remind you guys, I'm doing some Facebook Live stuff, so you tell me when, where, and how you'd like to integrate that into what we do with the podcast or i'll figure it out one day and and i'll present it to you guys but in the meantime again 832-941-6614 the uh, wadeswordproductions.com website and the sports talk with devin wade page and group on facebook and as always remember these four things Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.